This earlier this past week, I received a text message from one of our members um, updating me on the health of uh, one of their loved ones. I've uh, been praying with them for uh, this particular situation, and uh, in their text message, they were requesting prayer um, once again for their loved one because uh, their cancer had returned. But what really caught my eye in that text message was the fact that they stated that their loved one was losing their faith. Losing their faith. And that really, really is what prompted this message this morning. Because that phrase, losing their faith, I mean, really could mean any number of different things. But I'm guessing if I were to sit down and visit with this particular person, that one of the things that they would say to me is they're just not sure that God loves them anymore. And I would guess the thought process would go something like this. If God loved me, then why would he allow this cancer to come back? Perhaps there's someone here this morning who's had that same thought while facing a, an illness or some other kind of difficulty in their life. Maybe at one time you were absolutely convinced of God's love. And there was no doubt in your mind that God loved you. But now, as you sit here this morning, for whatever reason, you're just not as sure of that as you once were. And if that's you, then I really believe that the Apostle Paul has some great truth for you this morning. But before we get to it, I, wanna, I just want to share a couple of thoughts with you real quick as to why people struggle with the concept of the durability of God's love. I think for one is that what we know of love, we learn from other people. People who stop loving each other for just about every selfish or faulty reason imaginable. Marriages crumble, friends fall out, even parents and children become irreconcilable. Most human love, and I think this is a true statement, most human love is conditional and it's limited. In other words, you fail to meet the conditions and the love is withdrawn. I'm done. Another reason some people 
perhaps have trouble believing in the tenacity of God's love is the sense of their, their own sin. The bottom line is they just don't think they're lovable. In their minds, they question how God could still love them after what they've done. There are no doubt other reasons why people struggle to lay claim to God's love for them. But here's what we all need to understand this morning. The human impediments to love do not affect God one iota. Not one bit. You see, unlike human love, God's love has no conditions. God's love has no limits. If we think that some failed love that, that we have witnessed or, or even been a part of, or some sin in our past has caused him to just fold his arms and, and turn away, then Paul's words to us should banish that thought forever. Paul teaches us that nothing, everybody say nothing, nothing. Paul teaches us that nothing can separate us from God's love. Let's begin reading in verse 31 of Romans chapter 8. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Here it is, verse 35. Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ. Now follow this list. Shall tribulation. Or distress. Or persecution. Or famine. Or nakedness. Or peril. Or sword. As it is written for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay in all these things. Verse 37. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul said, verse 38, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. 
In these words of Paul, we learn three simple things. Number one, we learn that God's love is proven. It's proven. Look at verse 32 again, real quick. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Listen to me this morning. Calvary is the ultimate confirmation and proof of God's love for mankind. If, if you want to know whether or not God loves you, just look at the cross. When, when Paul wrote that God did not spare his own son, the thought is, is that he did not act leniently. You'll study that he did not act leniently, that Jesus bore the full brunt of his father's wrath for us. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah prophesied of the, of the coming Messiah. He prophesied of Christ. And here's what he said of the Messiah thousands of years before Christ was ever born. But Christ fulfilled this prophecy to the T. And here's what he said about him. Surely he, that's Christ, that's Jesus, hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he, Jesus, was wounded for our, that would be Bill, that would be Katie, that would be Nate, that would be Tanner, that would be Curtis, that would be Cindy, that would be Rita, that would be James. Just put your name in there. He, Jesus, was wounded for Bill's transgression. He was bruised for Troy's iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, on his son, the iniquity of us all. God showed no mercy to his son on the cross. He allowed them to beat him, scourge him, mock him, spit on him, disgrace him, and subject him to the worst kind of death known to man at that time. If you want to no, does God love me? Look at the cross. And the answer is a resounding yes. At Calvary, God proved the length and the depth and the height and the breadth of his love. If you want to know something of the height of God's love, then then take an imaginary stroll up Calvary's hill to the place where there were three crosses. Walk to the middle. And there at the top of that cross, 
right the height of God's love. Then stoop down beneath the nail-pierced feet, feet that never one time walked in sin, and write the depth of God's love. And then make your way to the left side of that cross, the cross, excuse me, the side where the heart of God beats, the heart that loved you, the heart that loved me, the heart, as we just said, that bore our griefs and our sorrows, the heart that wept over the lost condition of sinners. And at the fingertips of that bruised and bleeding hand, write the length of God's love. Now walk to the opposite side, to the right hand, the hand that blessed the little children, the hand that raised the woman caught in adultery. The hand that stilled the winds and the waves, and there right, the breadth of God's love. I'm telling you, there is no greater proof of God's love than the cross. God's love is proven. God's love is promised. Paul said that God delivered up his son for us all. That little phrase, for us all, throws its arms around people of all classes. I'm talking rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, men and women, people of every race, of every color, of every tribe, of every tongue. It takes in the doctor and the lawyer and the teacher and the truck driver and the coach and the athlete and the business owner. It includes the married And the single, and those who are single again, the moral, the immoral, the good, the bad. It took in a filthy, foul-mouthed fisherman like Peter. It took in a murderous, bloody-handed blasphemer like Paul. It took in an avowed thief on the cross. It took in a crooked tax collector. Listen, listen, if God can love a tax collector, God can love anybody. It took in a tax collector named Zacchaeus. God's love took in a five-time divorcee in John chapter 4. And a prostitute in Luke chapter 7. And a demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5. And listen to me this morning. On September 8th of 1976, it took in a long-haired, loud-mouthed, obnoxious bus kid named Billy Prater. I'm thankful that he did. Because he didn't have to. He didn't have to. But God's Word promises... His love to the worst of us. God loves us all. And he proved it on the cross. And note the outcome of his love in verse 33. It is God, Paul said, that justifieth. That's a big Bible word. 
But the word justified simply means to be made just or to be made innocent. I often explain it to folks like this, just if I'd never sinned. That's what it means to be justified, just as if I'd never sinned. It's a legal term by which God pardons all the sins of those who put their trust in Christ. And then get this, he treats them as righteous or as being right with him. Let's say that you get stopped for speeding and you have to go to court. You have to appear before the judge. And as you stand there, there's no doubt whatsoever in your mind that you're guilty. I mean, you're not, you're not even going to try to argue that fact. You're as guilty as sin. You got caught. And let's say the judge fines you $200. But at that point, I stand up. And I say, Your Honor, I would like to pay his fine. And I would like for you to take his offense and put it on my driving record. Don't get your hopes up. This is a story. (laughs) I'm a nice guy. I don't know that I'm that nice. But Jesus was. And let's, let's say that the judge says, are you sure? Yes, sir, I, I'm, I'm sure. And so I fork over the $200. Your speeding offense goes on my record. And you walk out of the courtroom as if you'd never done anything wrong. As a matter of fact, they can search as they will. They'll never find it. Because it's now on my record. Now, is it, is it because you didn't do wrong? No. We've already covered that. You got caught. You were speeding. You were wrong. You sinned. But that day, you walked out of that courtroom just if I'd never broken the law. And the moment we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are justified. Every evil, wicked, mean, bad, nasty thing we've ever done or said or thought about doing or thought about saying, that moment is erased. We leave that place justified, forgiven, made right, with God. Again, that's the ultimate end of all of those who are willing to accept God's love for them and put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Savior. They can be justified and be made right with God. God's love is proven. God's love is promised. 
Just study the Bible. And look at all of the vile people that Jesus loved and restored and saved. There's nobody within the sound of my voice that's been any more wicked than anyone in this book. And God loves you. He's proven it. He's promised it. And then here's really where I, my mind went when I got that text. God's love is permanent. Paul asked a rhetorical question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer is obvious. No one, no one can separate us from the love of Christ. Here's what that means this morning. There will never be a time when God stops loving us or starts loving us less, no matter what we do or how we react to what comes our way. Therefore, I would say this this morning, that no adversity can separate us from the love of Christ. In verse 35, Paul counters the false assumption that if we encounter adversity in any form during the course of our walk with God on this earth, that it must be because he's withdrawn his love for us. Does that make sense? And I would submit to you this morning that that assumption misses the point. God's love is is not some kind of, of magical mist that we spray on to keep pain and trouble away. God's love is the glue that keeps us bonded to Him even when trouble comes. Well, Pastor, I'm just not sure Paul understood suffering like I understand suffering. If he had suffered what I have suffered, (laughs) then I don't think he'd be so quick to say that God always loves us. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. So let's just take a moment and see what Paul knew about suffering. He offers a resume of his misfortunes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at it. Here's what he writes. These are all the things that he had experienced in his life. Labor is more abundant. In stripes, that would be beatings above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths or death-threatening situations, more oft. He said, of the Jews, 
Five times received I 40 stripes, save one. In other words, on five different occasions, Paul received 39 strokes across his back with a cat of nine tails. Five times. Thrice, he said, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times, he said, I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeyings, often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the, uh, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And then he adds this. Besides those things, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Okay. Paul may not have suffered the exact same thing that you've suffered. But I think you would agree with me this morning that he suffered enough. He went through enough to be tested with respect to God's love. I don't know if you caught it or not, but he mentions there a couple of times that he suffered at the hands of his own countrymen. Paul was a Jew, and yet he was beaten five times with 39 stripes by his own people. He was cussed by his own people. He was hated by his own people. He was turned away by his own people. So he may not have gone through what you've gone through or what you're going through right now. But again, he went through enough to question and to examine whether or not God still loved him. And in the end, his answer was yes. That none of these things, that no adversity was able to separate him from the love of Christ. As a matter of fact, all of those things served to increase his appreciation for the extent of God's tenacious grip of love. Well, well then, Pastor, why did he go through all those things if God loved him? Okay, here's the answer. Because we live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. It goes back to the book of Genesis and the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden and the entrance of sin into the world. And since that day, men and women 
Believers and unbelievers alike, the Bible says, arrange on the just and the unjust. Because of sin, there's cancer. Because of sin, there's hatred. Because of sin, there's murder. Because of sin, there's abuse. Because of sin, there's every wickedness that you could possibly think of. Why did you go through something that you went through? I'm guessing that at some point you could trace it back to sin. If not yours, Adam's. Well, preacher, why don't God just change it? He's going to one day. Rest assured, read the end of the book. He's going to change it. And it's going to be a hallelujah day. Mm. When he does. But until then, he loves us. He loves us. And nothing will change that. It doesn't matter what adversity comes. It doesn't change the fact that God loves us. And can I ask you this, where did we ever get the idea anyway that God has promised us an easy ride through life? Now listen, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on this book, but I've read a lot of it. I mean, I've read all of it several times from front to back. And I've studied it, nearly 40 years of ministry, and I have yet to find a place in this book where God says, hey, you just get on my team and you won't have any more issues. I don't find that. You know what I find? For example, in John 16, here's what I find. You get on my team and it's going to get hard. It's going to get tough because people don't like you. And besides that, whereas before you got on my team, you were playing for the other team. And the coach of the other team, the devil, he wasn't going to bother you. You're on his team. But when you decided to put on a different jersey and you walked into a different locker room, and you, you got on the team with a different coach. Now he's after you. Listen, I've never stood in this pulpit and said, if you'll just trust Christ, your life will be easy. I've tried to be as honest as I just was honest. But the Christian life is not easy. It's a fight. It's a war every day with the one who hates us. We Okay. I mean, how many of your parents offered you a problem-free life? <laughs> parents don't do that. But what they do is they promise to always be there to help you and always love you. No matter how many times you disappoint them or walk away from them or refuse to return their love. Listen, we've raised three kids and... There were times they did all of those things. But it never kept us from loving them. God's pledge is not that we will never have to endure things like tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sickness, or sword. His promise is that these things will never separate us from His love. There's no adversity that can separate us from the love of Christ. Now let me say this, there's no enemy that can separate us 
Death cannot separate us from his love. As a matter of fact, death will usher us into the glory of his presence forever. If we're his. Life, as we've already talked about, mercy, it can throw some nasty stuff at us. But nothing that halts God's love. What about angels? Paul mentions angels. I get into all of this, but because of the things... Because the things that are mentioned in verses 38 and 39 are in contrast to each other, the reference here has to be to good angels. They're not going to separate us from God's love. Why would they want to? They're ministering spirits. Paul goes on in verse 39 there, I believe it is, it talks about demonic principalities and and powers. Maybe that's at the end of verse 38. But he talks about demonic principalities and powers Listen, they would love nothing more than to come against us and destroy us. They would love to be able to to snatch us away from our loving Heavenly Father, but they can't. Paul then mentions things present and things to come. And it's so easy for us to be shaken in our confidence. By the reality of present trouble. And the prospect of more trouble to come. But for those who live in the certainty. That God's love will never let them go. And it doesn't matter what we go through now or what we face later. There's a peace that passes all understanding. So I don't know what concept of love you've grown up with or that you've seen modeled, but here's what I do know, it's been imperfect. As good as it was, it was still not perfect. No one but God can love us perfectly in every way and I wonder this morning have you accepted God's perfect love for you have you accepted it in salvation I just preached about how God proved his love for us by sending his son Jesus to suffer and die On the cross in our place for our sin. And if you sit here this morning and you're not saved, listen, God still loves you. But He will not force Himself upon you. His free gift of salvation is yours for the taking if you want it. And we would love to help you make that decision today. To receive God's love and salvation is to be assured of His presence in your life both now and forever. But to reject it is to be ultimately cast away from the presence of His love eternally 
listen, I, if I'm, I'm going to give you one side of the story, I'm going to give you the other side. And the other side is this. If you go into eternity lost, then you will be separated from the presence of His love eternally. Because there is no love of any kind in hell. For those who are saved this morning, can I ask you this? Are you living in the assurance of God's love? I know that can be a struggle sometimes because we just can't wrap our minds around what's happening to us. Believe me, we have lived that for a year and a half now through the death of our son. And how do you wrap your mind around that? But I can honestly stand here and tell you, I can't speak for my wife or for my son or for my daughter or for my son's wife, but I can speak for me this morning and in, even in the midst of all of my confusion and all of my questions, I never doubted whether God loved me. Believe me, I've doubted a lot of things about that night. And it's hard sometimes for us to wrap our minds around what's happening to us. And, and so we wrestle sometimes with the reality of God's love because if he really loved us, then he wouldn't have let this happen to us. I'm not going to pretend to be God or to understand why things happen the way they do. But here's what I know, and I'm done. Nothing, not even the trials of this life, can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's not my word. That's His word. Let's pray together.